The world is in a climate crisis and all industries must do their part to reach zero emissions. Maritime trade is critical to today's society, but is also responsible for 2.8% of all greenhouse gases. A future where global trade reaches zero is possible, but how do we actually get there? I'm Laura Jacobson, Zero North's Chief Purpose Activist and an expert in sustainable shipping. In Navigating Zero, I'm sitting down with thought leaders to explore the inner workings of global trade, its massive impact on our society, and the obstacles it faces in navigating its way to zero. Enterprises that have operated across multiple generations are in a unique position to influence our industry. Being well-established in the sector can help them make decisions that balance profit and planet in the longer term and can help identify innovative ways for global trade to fight climate change. My guest today is Robert Maersk Ugla, CEO at AP Moeller Holding and Chairman of the Board at AP Moeller Maersk. AP Muller Holding is a purpose-driven investment company building on 100 plus years of entrepreneurship. They are the parent company of the AP Muller Group, which is a diversified group of industry-leading companies spanning various sectors and industries, each independently run with dedicated boards and executive teams. They are globally known for their publicly listed company, AP Muller Maersk, and their commonly seen blue containers and ships with their logo on the side. The group's activities lie within their four investment themes, promoting long-term secular growth and positive impact. These four themes are global trade, the energy transition, circularity, water, and waste recovery, and finally, demographic and societal change. Since its establishment, the purpose of Nudi Vixenhill, or businesses that have a positive impact on society, has influenced the company's investments, decision-making, and direction. Since the splitting of the AP Muller Maersk conglomerate in 2019, Robert has led the charge in building and investing in organizations that fulfill their four investment themes. I've known Robert for almost seven years now, and I'm so grateful for him joining me today in this honest and revealing conversation about global trade. There are many views on trade. It's also a a politically sensitive topic these days. I'll give you my brief perspective on it. What is clear to me is that trade is hardwired into our, our DNA. It's an intrinsic part of human behavior. Trade is part of our history, our culture. It's always been part of the development of our societies, going back even thousands of years. Trade is today the cornerstone of our global economy. Almost half of global output is traded, and 90% of the goods used in our daily lives have been moved by ship. But we should also be clear that trade isn't an end in itself. It's a means to an end. The motivation to trade is very much rooted in bringing essential goods from one part of the world to other corners of the world. And by doing that, you create local jobs, and I would argue you create more robust societies. As an example, trade has been absolutely instrumental over the last 100 years in improving the distribution of food at a global scale. Now, from an economic point of view, I think trade has had many benefits. Open economies tend to outperform closed economies. Trade has been widely seen as a growth stimulator. Once you start looking at the trade development of particular countries, you will see that trade has had a massive impact. In South Korea, a country known for its Exports, the average employee generates 13 times more wealth today than she did 50 years ago, a contrast to its neighbor uh, North Korea. Also in developing countries like Bangladesh, we see a very positive impact of trade. So in Bangladesh, 
you've seen a fourfold increase in exports since the 1980s. Poverty rates in the same period has declined from 80% to around 4% today. There are a lot of very good things about trade, which at times is not really part of the geopolitical debate, unfortunately. It's true. Global trade is really the fabric of our society and is the way we move goods around the world. But there's also implications for that. With the climate emergency or the climate crisis that we're in, it's important that all industries do their part, including global trade. So maybe you can talk about it from a planetary perspective. Sure. I very much agree that we're facing significant climate challenges and we need to figure out how to, on one hand, continue to promote economic growth, including in countries which have not been an integral part of global trade historically, while at the same time, make sure that we reduce harmful emissions and preserve the planet we have, the wonderful nature we have on this planet. So trade is very much part of that equation. On one hand, you know, trade brings many benefits because trade enables a more efficient use of global resources. And that, all things equal, reduces the burden on the planet. And shipping also has the benefit, you can say, that if you look at trade overall, then ocean-based shipping is by far the most efficient mode of transportation. So by just shifting more of trade from other modes of transportation to ocean-based shipping, you will see that emissions will go down per ton of cargo transported. But with all of that said, ocean shipping is a polluting industry. The very specific numbers can, of course, be discussed, but by and large, 3% of the world's greenhouse gases comes from ocean-based shipping. So for us who are very involved in shipping, we have to figure out how to be part of the solutions. How do we bring down the emissions? And then I would say, how do we de decarbonize trade? But it's more than just decarbonizing because it's not just carbon emissions that are part of the problem. Of course, there are also other emissions. So figuring out a way to, you know, driving energy efficiencies in global shipping short term while at the same time embracing new fuels, green fuels, I think will be critical to drive a, a net zero agenda. The environmental impact of sailing goods across the oceans is an element of global trade that we must address urgently. The COVID pandemic brought new public awareness to shipping. When people couldn't get their iPhones or saw an alarming number of ships anchored at ports around the world, they began thinking more about the way goods are transported and the impact on our climate and environment. Our resources and environment are being pushed to the limit, urging a crucial reevaluation of how we produce and consume. We are now beginning to reach beyond our planetary boundaries, the point where the environment will be able to still self-regulate. So first of all, I sort of agree with the thesis that what I would call sort of our planetary boundaries are under serious threat. So there is this general requirement to reconsider and re-engineer, I think, that the relationship between how we produce goods on one hand, on the other hand, to figure out how we bring down harmful emissions and how we safeguard what makes this planet so special. 
we're definitely on the decarbonization journey with the short, medium, and long-term goals. Coming from Zero North, where we focus very heavily on the immediate emissions and optimizations of operations, we believe that we can't do it alone. And so the industry is actually coming together in ways that they never have before and collaborating. We look at bold leadership as something that's critical for change in any industry. Nudi Vixamhill is a concept which means businesses that are doing good for society. Can you explain to me a little bit about this? The concept of Nudi Vixamhill was something my great-grandfather came up with, and it's actually part of a charter of one of our foundations. So it says in this charter, which was drafted in the 1950s, that the purpose of the group is not to optimize returns, but to invest in and develop businesses that have a positive impact on society. And he actually used the words nyttig virksomhet. And nyttig means useful in the sense that to be useful to society. And virksomhet refers to being a business. So as opposed to being a philanthropy, you have to establish a business that is, from a financial point of view, sustainable, meaning that you have to generate a return above your cost of capital. But that in itself is not enough. You know, you also have to make sure that this business is a catalyst for doing good in society. Uh, so it was a very sort of broad concept. It's quite subjective. What does it mean? I think for him, it meant very much, how can we be part of creating jobs in Denmark and elsewhere in the world? He was an early investor in, in various activities in Africa. And I think he was very mindful about how he could, A, bring food from East Africa to Europe. He invested in a sugar plantation in East Africa. But he also had a fundamental belief that through these activities in Africa, he could actually drive economic development and create meaningful jobs in Africa. Doing good for society is a concept embraced by many, many people, many entrepreneurs, many businesses. And it's not a concept which is unique for our generation. It's been embraced for thousands of years. There are a lot of entrepreneurs throughout history that had an explicit desire to have a positive impact on society. I would argue that most successful businesses, in order to thrive and be a sustainable business from a financial point of view, you actually have to figure out how you can provide a utility. So from that point of view, you can argue a lot of businesses, if not all businesses, are useful. Now, if you fast forward to today's investments, we try to identify, when we invest in a model holding, we try to identify macro themes we believe will play an important role for society in the coming decades. And we try to figure out businesses, part of the themes that can act as catalysts for positive change. We've invested, for example, in a packaging business, which were very early adopters of using what we called RPETs, recyclable PET. So we said, while plastic may be a very good compound for the food industry, it extends shelf life, hence reduces food waste, we are quite concerned about plastic waste. So we found a company that had a very high percentage of recyclable PET, and PET is a plastic material. If you establish a sort of a circular loop, you can actually reuse the same plastic over and over again. So for us, that was a good example of, you know, how do we play into a broader theme of circularity and how can we invest into a company, and in this particular case, food packaging, that can actually drive the change from using traditional polypropylene that gets downgraded and eventually it gets incinerated or, or it gets thrown out to another material that can be used over and over again. 
At the Tomorrow Summit in 2021, Robert identified three criteria that AP Molar Holding takes into account when it does business. They take responsibility and demonstrate leadership for existing holdings. They take an active role in shaping the businesses of tomorrow. And they consider how, as corporate citizens and shareholders, they can become a force for public good beyond their businesses. An example of demonstrating leadership for existing holdings came in January 22 when AP Molar Maersk updated its ambitious climate targets. This included the objective to reach net zero emissions by 2040. This is a huge milestone, but if it can be done, others will hopefully be inspired to follow and create ambitious targets of their own. Sometimes to make bold changes, it's necessary to look at the structure of an organization to see if it still fits its purpose. I mean, I think over the last... 100 plus years in our group's history, we've had a, a number of very successful business developments. And historically, they happen as part of a conglomerate. So we had a very big line of shipping activity. And we had a few entrepreneurial country managers who realized that why don't we also try to run the ports in some of the countries where our ships call? Uh, because there was this belief that we could run the ports better, we could improve productivity of the ports and, and enable more, th- more throughput of that port. That eventually became what is today APM Terminals, one of the world's biggest port operators. Now, we changed the structure a couple of years ago. We no longer operate as a conglomerate. Uh, We figured out that some of our companies would be better off by having a more focused structure with dedicated boards. We still sort of realized that there would be opportunities to develop new businesses from our existing portfolio companies. Now, we have a strong preference that those businesses are developed inside those companies, but occasionally we find examples where a business idea generated by a particular business unit may may have better growth opportunities if it becomes a standalone business. And Sear North is a very good example of that. So in Merge Tankers, we had a, a very capable team that looked at voyage optimization of our own ships, but also our pool partnerships. But it became very clear to that team that the pool we operated at the time, we had around 150 ships in the pool, including our own ships, was really too small if you wanted to create a strong technology platform where you relied on significant data. You needed to have a a platform which catered for thousands of ships and not just your own pool ships in order to establish a very strong platform where you had sufficient data to drive efficiencies for the ship operators. Uh, So with that in mind, we concluded that we better spin it off and we create a neutral company, which is not just associated with MERS tankers, but can actually serve all ship owners. And we raise third-party capital to support this venture. And then of course, we, we hire a standalone management team and we bring on board talent to this platform. And that's what we did uh, a bit more than three years ago. So we spun off this bunker optimization initiative or voyage optimization initiative from Merce Tankers. We rebranded it to Sierra North. Early on, we got uh, Cargill on board as an investor, and they also brought along a, a very big fleet to complement the Merce Tankers pool. And then we made it very clear to the management team that in order to be successful, we had to be seen as a, a neutral party, not to be associated with, with Maersk nor Cargill, and that we had to bring on board thousands of ships from the global merchant fleet to have the scale required to, to, to develop really good services. I compliment the team for executing on that. I think today the platform has around 4,000 ships and it is still growing. 
And the company has developed a number of very interesting products. So there's been a lot of momentum. Now, the starting point of all of this was the purpose of how can we establish a business that really has some impact in the industry. And of course, the energy transition in, in shipping is not just a function of figuring out what future fuels to use. There's a lot of savings uh, or improvements to be done through just driving energy efficiencies. So we had this fundamental belief that Sear North would fulfill our purpose of Nyttivirksamhet by helping ship owners across segments to reduce their fuel consumption and hence also reduce their emissions. And while the percentages may be fairly small, the absolute emission saves are significant considering the scale of global trade. Robert, I appreciate you mentioning Zero North in the context of making active incremental changes in our industry. Constant care is a value that Zero North and Maersk share. Could you tell me a little bit more about what constant care means to you and how do you see that as a critical enabler of global trade, if you do? So sure, I think the pandemic made a lot of people realize that we had fairly vulnerable supply chains and that a lot of societies depend on these global supply chains. It's not enough to just produce grain, right? You also have to sort of transport it to where that grain will be used and turn into bread. So the supply chains are truly critical, whether you look at food distribution, whether you look at medical supplies, whether you look at providing fuels and other commodities to all corners of the world. Now, historically, many companies, and I would also argue many governments, they had this very transactional approach to supply chains. They assumed that the supply chain would always be there. And in general, people believe that the most efficient way to organize your supply chain is to procure every part of that supply chain in order to get the lowest possible cost. I do think the pandemic and many of the bottlenecks that arose during the pandemic made people realize that you need to have an end-to-end perspective of your supply chain and, and you need to really engage with partners that have a more holistic approach to supply chains. And you have to sort of figure out what are your contingencies when you see some of these unexpected developments. I mean, a, a good recent example is the challenges related to the Panama Canal, where you have very low water levels as a result of a drought. So you have to start looking at the supply chain and, 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 and have a more holistic approach to it. And I think that, that's also where constant care comes in because just saying, you know, the supply chain will always be there and having this sort of more transactional approach leaves you very exposed if something happens. So for me, constant care to start with is to have this more responsible approach to the supply chain to figure out how can we, you know, safeguard the imports of food or the safeguard of fuel? How can we have a more responsible approach to our energy systems by figuring out you know, what are our vulnerabilities and, and how can we work with partners to, to address some of those. That's sort of a very general statement. But I think from a climate point of view, you can apply the perspective of constant care. Because of course, if you're an importer of clothes, you will be subject to regulations, but you will also be subject to consumer sentiment. So from that point of view, you should, of course, look at your supply chain, not just from a cost point of view and from a reliability point of view, but you should also consider what is your sort of scope three emissions and are there ways here to actually shorter term reduce those emissions and longer term maybe have a more strategic approach 
to your supply chain in order to see a, a radical reduction of those emissions. So I think the concept of constant care is certainly very relevant for anyone who's engaged or has a stake in the global supply chains. Constant Care really is at the heart of Robert's organization. The decision to no longer operate as a conglomerate was a huge turning point for the group, and one that could not have happened without the idea of actively preparing for tomorrow while taking care of today. This requires bold leadership and a long-term perspective to decisively split a major enterprise and channel its efforts into initiatives that positively impact the world. With his overview, Robert shares ideas on potential enablers to accelerate the green transition on a wider scale. So I think there are many enablers, but I think the first one is to figure out what's the low-hanging fruit. And here, Sierra North plays an important role. So how can you drive efficiencies based on today's supply chains, today's ships, and today's fuels? And there are some very concrete measures here. One is to look at, can you shift modes shift from air freight to ocean shipping, ship from trucking to rail. There are some very, I would say, concrete levers on how to reduce your emissions for the goods being transported. But it's also about figuring out how you can optimize the assets being used. Sierra so North very much provide a service to operators of the global merchant fleet. And Sierra so North provides concrete products and tools to uh, reduce emissions by reducing fuel consumption. And then, of course, there are the, the longer-term measures that have to be taken. And the longer-term measures, I think, depend very much on regulators. I'm, I'm very thankful for the IMO. I think the recent MEPC 80 meeting was quite encouraging, where the world's economies agreed that by 2025, we need to have measures in place to start closing what I call is the competitiveness gap between green and fossil fuels. We need to see IMO-based greenhouse gas emission pricing or a pricing mechanism and fuel standard to close that gap between green and black fuels. I think without regulators, this will not happen. But of course, also as consumers, we do play a role You know, by actively supporting companies that address their scope three emissions, embrace green forms for transportation, will drive positive long-term change. It was really fascinating talking to Robert about the big changes that need to be made to reach zero and create a better future. Having a multi-generational perspective in an industry that touches society, economics, and the environment has really allowed Robert to lead on key decisions and investments that will hopefully pave the way for others to act with environmental and social responsibility. What I learned from my conversation today with Robert was that profit and planet can go hand in hand. And when large enterprises like AP Muller Holding lead by example, it demonstrates that similar actions are possible for other organizations. Being a first mover means setting the pace and being able to openly set emission targets, which are ambitious, is a compelling testament to this leadership. And lastly, in the spirit of constant care, tough decisions are imperative. For Robert, this meant splitting up the historical conglomerate and forging a new path forward. Whether it's for emission targets, visionary strategies, or innovative business models, we should all be bold in setting our goals and equally dedicated to our efforts to achieve them.
thank you so much to Robert Maersk-Ugla for joining me today. And thank you for listening to Navigating Zero, Global Trade's powerful wave of change. If this conversation has inspired you, then please follow us on your podcast app of choice for more fascinating discussions on how we reach zero. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. You'll find a link in the show notes. Bye for now.